Thank you all for tuning in to the Gay Agenda Podcast, a limited series from the Oracle. I'm your host, Sabine Benda, and for our first ever released episode, myself and my co-host, Cedra Nike, sat down with Paul and Karen from the Quatrefoil Library, a queer library in South Minneapolis. We cover a lot, including the history of the Quatrefoil and the importance of third spaces in building queer community. I hope you all enjoy the Quatrefoil Library. Would you two mind introducing yourselves and uh, saying your pronouns a little bit about yourself and uh, how you got involved with Quatrefoil? I'm Karen Hogan, she, her. Um, I've been involved with Quatrefoil for almost 30 years. Um, I moved here in the mid-80s after I graduated college. I was a broke college student and looking for gay community and I found this library that had gay books and I was just so excited. So I was a visitor and then I started volunteering and then I went on to board service and been there ever since. Awesome. Thank you. I'm Paul Kafer, he, him. Um, I followed my partner to Minneapolis in 2016 and then similar to Karen was looking for a gay community and found the library at one of the Pride Fests and then we both started volunteering in 2017 and have been volunteering since. I was the board president in 2023 and love the library. Lovely, thank you. Well then, thanks for joining us. Um, can you tell us a bit about the history of the Quatrefoil Library to your knowledge from its inception to where it's at today? I'll take that one. <laughs> yeah, um, uh, Quatrefoil started um, in the closet of two gay men, uh, David Irwin and Dick Hewitson, and one was closeted and it was really hard to find books with gay topics back in the 50s, 60s, 70s. So when David was closeted at the time, so when he did happen to find something, he was so afraid to be found out that he would throw his books away before he got home. He would just read them on the spot and then throw them away. And when he came out and his partner was a book collector, not just of gay books, but all kinds of books, and he said, no, you, you shouldn't have to throw this away. This is, you know, worth keeping and worth preserving. Um, so they agreed and started uh, collecting books and then started loaning books out, and their friends knew that the gay books were kept in the linen closet. <laughs> <laughs> the lavender books, they called them. <laughs> and after a few years of lending books out to their friends, they said, why don't we incorporate as a library since we're loaning books out to our friends anyway. So they incorporated, it was four people, incorporated in 1983. Um, and then they got, they partnered with the Minnesota Civil Liberties Union and the MCLU gave them their first space in North Broadway. Um, so they rented a room in North Minneapolis and opened the library in 1986. Wow. Um, and from there, we've uh, been always been volunteer run. Um, funded by donations, not government funding. Uh, we've had three different locations and we're in our third location now on 1220 East Lake Street in Minneapolis. Okay. Nice. Yeah. How has the Quatrefoil changed and adapted over the years since 86 when it officially opened? Definitely a lot. Yeah. Um, I obviously <laughs> can speak to only a short history personally, but we do have a history book written about us for the first half. For the first half, right? <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> Needs yeah. to be updated. Um, but that's a really cool book to read, and it's not super long. It's a great, you know, Twin Cities history. Yeah. But also, there's not a lot of LGBTQ libraries in the country. Um, and that's free on our website, too. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, we've definitely expanded a lot from a closet to a physical huge space. We still get people who walk in and are like, oh, you're like a real library because they think, you know, we must be pretty small. We must be mostly online. Right, because we did start out pretty small. We had maybe 100, maybe 100, 200 books the first time I visited, probably 1986. Um a lot of used books. There weren't a whole lot of books published back then, so we yeah. were able to pretty much collect or, or get everything we had. We expanded from books to, we used, we'd we have uh, newspapers, periodicals, um, Twin Cities had a pretty good local publishing scene. We actually had newspapers that covered gay news. Yeah. Um, yeah. We collected newsletters. Um, we had somebody that did a clippings file, so anytime anything made news, we had a, you know, scissors and newspaper and put it in a vertical file, the vertical file. But, and then as VHS came along, we decided to collect VHS tapes. Um, and then we got a, uh, a large bequest and started an endowment fund and that fund funded our first DVD collection. Nice. Um, yeah. And we were able to grow that. And then since then we've uh, had to narrow down mm -hmm focus on, okay, what are we going to collect, what are we not going to collect. Uh, with the Treader collection here at town, um, at the University of Minnesota, they're more of an archive, uh, so they collect people's papers and are more about preservation and, you know, collecting t-shirts and buttons and, you know, beer cans. And so we took the track of being more of a lending library, so that's really what makes this unique, is there's a lot of queer libraries that are attached to archives that are collected to, you know, bigger libraries, but we're the only really independent, standalone, circulating library, and our focus is on circulating materials. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's important to note that we're not a public library, and mm -hmm. so we don't get any state funding. And so historically, we had to charge for memberships. And it was something we did, you know, willingly and enthusiastically because we got to be part of this organization. You got your queer library card. Yeah. You know, um, for $5, $10. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but a few years ago, we went free membership, which mm -hmm. I think has been a huge mm -hmm. positive for us. We've greatly expanded our membership, and it's um, pretty much based on we get enough donations from people anyway. That's mm -hmm. awesome. Nice. That's so great. Nice. That's incredible. And it's good to hear that you have so much support from the outside. Right. It's we amazing. also did went fine free with a lot of other libraries. We don't charge overdue fines. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah, it just, awesome. you know, kept, keeps people away from back. the library. And yeah, it's like, really, so we want you back. We, we want our stuff back. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know, no shame. We'll work it's with just you. Like, yeah. Please, please yeah. give it back. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, you, you know, you can't check anything out, else out until you bring back or don't ghost us. You know, we'll work with you. <laughs> yeah. Why is it important to have intentionally queer spaces, uh, specifically ones that aren't like clubs or bars? We had a really good speaker, probably the first year I was here, Cleve Jones, who worked with Harvey Milk, mm -hmm. and he talked about that in detail. And his perspective was really helpful for me because, I mean, I'm, I've been somebody who's interested in both. You know, I've gone out to the bars, but it's really cool to have a gay library. Um, and he talked about kind of that duality, you know, it's really important to have a space where people don't have to be drinking or doing other drugs. Um, but there's also, I think, a space for 
that too. Um, and so I think the more I've been involved with Quatrefoil, not just that experience, but books I've read. Um, there's another book that was written in St. Paul that Karen might remember, um, Kerm, Evening Crowd at Kermsers. Right. Right. Um, and that one was about, I believe it was the 1940s, a bar that was actually just like a working class bar. But like later in the night, the clientele became more gay, lesbian. Um, and so it's been really cool to like, the more I've learned about our shared history, the more I've learned about like, where did people go historically to find their people? And mm -hmm. it's really exciting to now have more and more places than ever and feel more safe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And also I'm a bit older than Paul. I'm, <laughs> I'm almost 60, so I kind of straddle the, you know, straddle the generations. I came out towards the end of the 70s. I was in high school, so I knew I wasn't the only lesbian in the world. I was almost certainly the only lesbian in my high school and I wasn't going to come out. Um, so where I did find myself in stories about me was in the public library. You know, it might have been just one or two books and we're talking the days of the card catalog and, you know, so it was nice just to browse up and down the stacks and what I found wasn't always positive, but at least it was something. Yeah. It was something. I think Nancy Garden's uh, Annie on My Mind Mm -hmm. came out when I was in high school, you know, so I did find that book and I lived in New York, you know, New York, so at least I kind of knew I had people around me, um, but I was broke. I mean, I was a kid. I couldn't go to the bars. I, mm -hmm. you know, didn't have money to get anywhere, but I could at least get to my public library and that was a, you know, nice, nice place to be. I didn't have to spend money. I didn't need parental supervision. Mm -hmm. um, and then having, coming to Quadrifoil, having, I think, the advantage of having a gay library and a gay librarian <laughs> is, I think, people that are coming out or coming up for the first time feel more comfortable asking somebody who looks like them sure. about gay yeah. books, about coming out, about sexuality, about, I want, sure. you know, mm. this, or my kid is coming out, oh my God, my parents coming out, wait a minute. So I've, I've had all of those, so. Mm. Just I, creating the safe place that yeah. people just can go. Yeah. Just, there's an option. Yeah. yeah, you know, and we do encourage reading. We do encourage, we have nice comfy chairs for the first time <laughs> ever, so it's nice to be able to just, you know, pull a book and, mm -hmm. And then there's, I work Saturday mornings and there's, you know, I, I had call it the old guys. My old guys come in and they just chat. They just mm -hmm. talk, you know, with me or with anybody else that's there. And, mm -hmm. you know, so it's nice to be in a place where you're not forced to spend money and you don't have mm -hmm. a waiter looking over your shoulder like I need that table. So, for sure. For sure. Yeah. you know, that third space that's not home, not work, but somewhere in between. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Um, how this is specifically for you, Karen, as you've been there since like practically the beginning, yeah. um, at least in the public eye. But how have you seen like the the queer community around us, like in Minneapolis? How have you seen them impacted by having that third space to go to together? Like, have you seen any new developments in the community throughout the past? Um. So um, I'm still floored that we've been around for almost 40 years and people still haven't heard of us, still have never been there. I, yeah, I've just I, heard about you right about, like, last week, basically. I've never heard yeah, of you before. Yeah, so that's like, well, come on in, yeah, come yeah. to visit, I'll give you a backstage tour. I can definitely tell a difference after COVID. Mm -hmm. I mean, because we were closed mm -hmm. for a couple of years. We were in the middle of the George Floyd uprising. I mean, I live, that's my neighborhood too. I live there. Mm -hmm. um, so we were 
you know, closed for almost two years. We did have uh, online pickup, but I think since COVID, we've gotten a lot more people coming out, wanting to volunteer, showing up, wanting to be someplace other than their house, wanting to socialize. Mm -hmm. You know, so I've noticed that a lot. I look at, you know, all these volunteers. I'm like, where did you come from? This is great. Mm -hmm. And then why am I suddenly like the oldest one in the room? That's kind of unnerving too. <laughs> yeah, sure. but, I, but I love to see, you know, Gen Z showing up and showing out. From 1970 to 2012, there was a queer feminist bookstore in Minneapolis named Amazon Bookstore. After a legal battle with another bookstore in the late 90s, they rebranded as Amazon Bookstore Collective. And after a change in ownership in 2008, spent their twilight years under the name True Colors. It's not there anymore, but Amazon was once the oldest feminist bookstore in the US. Its significance for an older generation of lesbians in the Twin Cities can't be overstated. Karen had a lot of great things to say. I think that's how I first found Quatrefoil, because they lived in Loring Park when Amazon Feminist Bookstore was across the, across the park. And yeah, that was a place to, it was like Quatrefoil, it was more than just a bookstore, but it was a community gathering place. I mean, they had book clubs and author readings, and it was a place to hang out. They had a little cafe restaurant next door, so... You know, the guys, the gay men had Loring Park for cruising and we had, you know, Amazon Bookstore to mm -hmm. hang out and meet people. Yeah. And then Alison Bechtel's Dyke to Watch Out For comic strip was loosely based on different points on the Twin Cities because she lived here in the 80s. So Mad Women Books was modeled after Amazon Bookstore. Um, and they had a giant... <laughs> I didn't know that. Learning so much oh, right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So anyway, Amazon, you know, back in the day before the internet, they had a giant bulletin board. You know, so that's where you would find, you know, roommates wanted, book wanted, ride wanted. And I think I saw an advertisement for Quatrefoil Library on this, on this uh, bulletin board. I'm like, because I'd go to the bookstore and of course I'd want to spend a million dollars, but I was broke. I was making a minimum wage, you know, I couldn't afford anything. So I'd just write down all the titles and then go to Q and see if they had them. <laughs> That's very and then uh, years later when they, uh, when the ownership changed and it became True Colors book, bookstore, I tried to buy all my books from them to support mm -hmm. Q. For sure. So did that until they went under. So mm -hmm. yeah. now we buy our books from mostly Moon Palace bookstore in Minneapolis cool. and Birch Park Books. Yeah, I, I remember my mom wanting to bring me to, to True to Colors one Aww. time. Yeah, but then she was so bummed when she saw that it was closed down. So bummed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know, yeah, she went to school at the U and she oh. was out in her college days. So. Oh, nice. Yeah. I'm a third gen kid. <gasps> I, oh, yeah, of, my grandma's queer too. Oh, yeah. of my I don't know if that she would label herself as queer, yeah, but, but she's had very queer experiences in her life. So, yeah. yeah. We have a longtime volunteer named Robert Frame. Oh, yeah. And he teaches LGBTQ history at um, Normandale? Normandale or Metro State? I don't remember where he is now. Um, well, anyway, during the pandemic, I took it through Normandale, oh. um, and that was super cool because taking a class while also working, I could imagine if you only took classes during COVID, it might have been different, but mm -hmm. that was a really great way to distract me 
from having too much free time. <laughs> um, but he's a really cool person who's been around. I mean, he's been around yeah, much for a long time. He was time. the membership coordinator back in the 80s, 90s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I brought it up now because he, we had some really great conversations in that class about historic people and their identities and how, I mean, from a historian perspective, you don't necessarily want to like assign an identity because it might be a new identity mm-hmm. that, yeah. you know, and like the, yeah, just, the textbook yeah. we went through had a similar situation where the person's might have also been grandmother. Mm-hmm. And it was like, the grandmother lived for decades with this woman, mm-hmm. but every time this mm-hmm. author tried to like ask about it or use the lesbian word, she'd be really uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, he's a really cool person just to like talk to about that perspective. Mm-hmm. But the class was specifically LGBTQ US history. And it was so cool to also learn about indigenous identities that, you know, I knew very, very minimally about. You know, I knew Mm Two-Spirit, but there were so many identities that I hadn't known about before. Um, I love that the Quadrofoil is more than just like a library. There's clubs uh, that congregate and you have events. Um, can you tell us more about those? Like what, what kind of clubs you host and events and um, how people can get involved if they're curious about it? Yeah, we have four or five book groups that meet regularly and COVID definitely impacted them. I think there's still one or two that are still meeting on Zoom, still trying to figure out you know, what works for them. But some of those groups have been meeting for years and years. Mm. Uh, we've definitely had kind of one-off book groups. You know, people come and discuss a specific book. We love doing author events, and we always love suggestions, too, for what authors, because, you know, we frequently hear about some authors published a few books, and like, oh my gosh, they live in town. I had no idea that they existed. <laughs> um, and one of the exciting things from 2023 is we're now offering honorariums. Historically, we've been so small budget that we couldn't pay anybody to come in to speak. And it, it worked out. Yeah. I mean, often people come to Majors and Quinn, and we're like, by the way, would you mind doing a free little gig for us? Yeah. But this is huge because, you mm-hmm. know, that also is giving more back to the community, and that's mm-hmm. been a really cool focus. So that's been something I've seen change. Mm-hmm. Um, since my time, and partly with my influence, we've launched a scholarship program. Mm-hmm. So that's one way we give back. Um, but yeah, honorariums are really cool. That's awesome. That's really great. And just... Uh, I'm a librarian in my, my day job too, and a lot of my professional life revolves around quadrifoil, so I can speak to, you know, how many how many people have I recruited to get their <laughs> masters in library science from, from quadrifoil? They, you know, might have thought, oh, I've always wanted to work in a library. Here's your chance. Anything that needs done and, you know, none's needs doing in a library, we need somebody to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's cataloging books or buying books or selecting books or processing the books, fundraising, marketing, social media, I mean, you name it, we need it. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. mm-hmm. like I said, we're, we're all volunteer. Um, so I've uh, encouraged a lot of, at my time I went to St. Kate's, St. Kate's <laughs> uh, for my master's. Uh, so I wrote a lot of papers for and projects for Quadrifoil. I think I did my independent study at Quadrifoil. Mm-hmm. So I tried to work, you know, my volunteer job into my uh, 
Right, yeah, yeah, into my program as much as I could, and then I encouraged my classmates and other people and other volunteers. Uh, so I think now we have uh, three people that are getting their masters right now, and it's like, hey, why don't you do a project on zines, and why don't you do a project on collection development, and why don't you do a so? Yeah, that's so wonderful too that they and, have. And then resources. even younger kids. Um, I have a daughter, she's now almost 23, but back when she was in middle school, she did History Day, uh, which is a big competition. Yeah. Uh, they're a different theme every year, and the students have to do original research and either do a paper or a presentation, a play, and also write this bibliography. Mm -hmm. So back when we were in our old space, we had a group of middle school students want to do research on Baird Rustin, who was a contemporary of Martin Luther King. So they came to our library because they they felt we were more approachable than the public library and we mm -hmm. probably have more. So we had these students do a big day history day project. Did a, a big trifold poster and then they gave them presentation to the board after it. And I swear the bibliography these middle schoolers put together was could rival something that my grad students put together. <laughs> it was it was great. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, so South High School is right down the street, so sometimes we get students from South. My kid went to South. You know, I need to do a book report on XYZ. I need to do a research paper. Yeah. Not often, but sometimes. Yeah. And then other uh, researchers have used items from our collections to write their own books, so it's nice to get an acknowledgement in the, you know, in the deep bibliography index of somebody else's book. Thank you to Quatrefoya Library. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Knowing this resource would have been fantastic last year. I did I did a big final project specifically about lesbian music and like oh. the, and I know and I was looking at all of our all of our um, like school based data research oh. just search engines exclusive LGBT life yeah like I just <laughs> it, I couldn't find anything really of substance it was just like very much one lens, one viewpoint. Oh, damn, you could have had me to talk to. I know. I, uh. I didn't even know this resource was available, but maybe I just need to revisit the project. Yeah. I did do very well in the project, <laughs> but my life would have been a lot easier if I had that resource. Oh, oh my goodness. I know. Yes. Yeah. I, know. Yeah. I guess I want to ask you two about, with book bannings being trending at the t moment, at this moment politically, especially in certain U.S. states and Here. attempts at drink, yeah, attempts at banning drag um, and just generally omitting queerness from the curriculum. I, I want to talk to you both about like what the impact of, of the space that you, um, that you both spend time in the Quatrefoil, what that, what that represents in a moment like this one. Well, Karen's answer is probably um, pretty much whenever we hear about an LGBTQ book that's been challenged, we check if it's in our collection, and if it's not, we'll make sure to buy it. Mm -hmm. um, one of the really cool things that we did in the last two years, we launched ebooks and audiobooks. So that's another platform that we can, hey, is this book on that platform? Because the really cool thing about that, not only do we have free membership, but ebooks and audiobooks means you can be a member from another state. Yeah. Oh, which could great. be Midwest, could be South, mm -hmm, yeah. <laughs> could be somewhere that books are being banned. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And we have reached out to a few organizations. We probably could do more, but we've reached out to some in Iowa, I know, just to tell them, hey, we're here. We offer this free membership. You can let your, your people know about us. Mm -hmm. That's wonderful. Yeah. 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 I love that that's already a resource set up, and you didn't even have to really do any extra effort. Just yeah. adding, adding <laughs> it to the archive is 
Wonderful. Right. And uh, even a plug for two new Q Digital, uh, queer digital only libraries. There's a QLL, Q Liberation Library, and they're also a free online only uh, digital library. So you can add them to your Libby Q as well. Yeah, that's wonderful. It's, yeah, great to have these resources, and it's great yeah. the work that you're doing. And it's like all the more radical, too. And it's like, and just just unintentionally yeah. almost like just mm -hmm. providing the safe so space we, yeah we do have an advantage of not being you know school libraries get hit a lot because you know parents are there and you yeah. know a lot of attention and the public libraries because but we're kind of in the middle and we're in we're an independent library mm -hmm. you know so we don't get we don't have to answer to a lot of government entities yeah. and um but it's still scary i mean I'm, there's a lot of self-censorship Mm -hmm. You know, we can, why is this book here? Well, not everybody's going to like every book in our collection. Mm -hmm. Not every book in our collection is going to be gay positive. It might, I mean, sometimes we have to do opposition research, and we do have the American Family Association, mm -hmm. you know, especially during the marriage uh, equality campaign. Mm -hmm. um, so yes, while we're a safe space, it's not that you're going to not encounter any scary ideas or anything that's going to challenge you. Sure. It's yeah. just this is a safe space to read, to explore, to learn. We're not going to judge you for checking out this book, that book, or that book. Mm -hmm. I mean, no library will, but... Yeah, but you don't even want to feel like that when, yeah. when yeah. you're... Mm -hmm. like, yeah. yeah. Definitely. Especially young people. You know, mm -hmm. it, it can be uncomfortable if when you're just starting to figure out your own identity to be in a space where you're not sure yeah. what the reaction will be to me checking out this book. And it's wonderful that it's like, oh, this is a place you can be sure. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah. Yeah. Just, and even if you can't check it out and take it home, sit here, sit here and yeah, read. You have a space yeah. to read it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's also the online option as of two years ago. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah I just. It's so important to keep all of the negative things alive, too, because if we don't have the records of history, we lose it and mm -hmm. beat it. And no one wants to, I don't, I don't want to go back to, to where it was and when my mom was younger and out and targeted just for being who she was. Like, I don't want to, mm -hmm. like, so many people have fought to where we are, and it's just embarrassing to see as a young person <laughs> regressing so much. But I think I'm the kind of person that keeps finds the silver lining in a lot of things. So like it's it's valuable to to be able to work so hard at something that you love, but it's it gets so draining. <laughs> so draining sometimes. Yeah. It's so good that I I'm very excited to visit the Quatrefoil Library soon. I was already going to visit before, but now I'm oh. sold so <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Tell, tell me when I'll, yeah. I'll tell you I'll tell you all about it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It is important to have, as a library, as an archive, to to record history and um, as it is, mm -hmm. and not and, exactly. and and so running into stuff that makes people uncomfortable or scared is is part of it. Unfortunately, because it's a part of the history. Mm -hmm. uh, what is why is it important? You know, once people are ready to interact with that with these real parts of uh, queer history, why or is it important for younger generations of queer people to go back and understand? history that's definitely something I've gained from being part of Quatrefoil when I joined I was definitely on the younger side of volunteers and it's been cool to see that change mm -hmm. at the time I joined the board I was the youngest board member and now I'm kind of right in the middle and it's you know partly it's aging but it's partly also we've recruited younger people mm -hmm. and I think what's cool is 
This is probably one of the few spaces, other than I guess work, that I've experienced multi-generational community. Mm-hmm. The first people that I volunteered with were decades older than me, and so they lived through the AIDS crisis. They lived through a lot of this history, and it's been great to learn from them because, like you said, it's really important to know our history, and I forget who said it, but it's like, if you don't study history, you're doomed to repeat it. Exactly, yeah, um, yeah. yeah. That quote is burned in here. It's always, always in the back of my mind, yeah. And I think for me, it's like, you know, Karen touched on this earlier when she talked about you know, growing up and going to the public library, and that's where you could find this stuff. And I think that's been a really cool thing with Quatrefoil because almost everybody has a situation like that where, you know, their family might have been religious or they didn't know any gay people, and so they were able to find stuff at their library. And that's been really cool as I get to know myself more and explore my identities that, you know, we have all these books and movies and some of it's just fun hey, look, here's somebody who looks like me and acts like me. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the more the more you read, the more you get to learn about people who are also different than you, and that's something that I think is really important with the library. Yeah. Yeah, it scares me now in the year of 2024 how much we're, we seem to be going backwards. Mm-hmm. I mean, because I came out just as AIDS was coming up, and Anita Bryant, you know, and Save Our Children mm-hmm. was kind of our landscape. Yeah. So hearing, you know, stuff about groomers and protect the children, it's like, wait a minute, we've been here before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I lived through the Reagan years. Mm-hmm. They were terrible. Mm-hmm. It's like, what is this morning in America shit? No, this was a very dangerous time to be queer. Yeah. This was a not a good time. I mean, sometimes it was having your little secret society. and But secret society. Yeah. Like, right. no one wants to be living in secret for just being mm-hmm. who they are. Yeah. Like, that's not, no, yeah. it's not a way to, sur- it's a way to survive, but you're not going to thrive in that condition. Yeah. No. I work at a college, so I'm around, you know, 18 to 22-year-olds all day. You know, so I, I think I don't think they have it easier. It's definitely different. Yeah, sure. I mean, it's definitely a different time to be coming out. Mm-hmm. I mean, because I couldn't imagine coming out with the internet and having everything in the palm of your hand and being able to meet people mm-hmm. online. I mean, we actually had to go out to meet people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, so my 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 young my young queer friends just seem to have a harder time connecting mm-hmm. with community yeah. then even though there seemed to be I don't know it's just just a generational difference I think mm-hmm. yeah yeah it is crazy how much the internet has changed things and I think um, some for the better some for the worse I think for that sure. if you are in a space if you're living in a situation as a young person that's not safe for you to be queer in it's a lot it's a lot more accessible for you to instantly find Mm -hmm. someone in that community or people that you can talk to but I think that the kind of being forced out of your home to find that community into a space where you can meet and talk to and interact with in a community way Mm -hmm. like that is something that is a little bit lost and that um it's definitely something I wish I interacted with more and had. Yeah, I feel like that's 
like I was in high school before COVID, so I don't really know pre-COVID queer experience outside of a high school context, but like, I feel like it's, like people are just, there's a fear of, like this constant anxiety of being like antagonized or, yes. or, or just like, just berated just for like, or looked at weird kind of things. And I understand that, but also there comes to a point where just kind of need to breathe through it and be who you are just because that's who you need to be. Like, there's not really a way to survive otherwise, especially yeah. in a city like Because my, my young ones have, you know, I, did, I knew nothing about Tumblr. Mm-hmm. It's like, what a <laughs> toxic place <laughs> this is. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, no yeah. wonder these kids are afraid to say anything, to mm-hmm. stand up for something, because they don't, and they just get piled on mm-hmm. yes. or doxxed or mm-hmm. excommunicated. Or, right. Yes, yeah. You know, so it's like, I didn't, you know, yeah, you might have gotten ostracized by the kids in your high school, but not like the whole world. Yeah, 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 exactly. Exactly. Yeah, so that's the scary part. But then the, like, the good, the good part of it is, in fact, like, just having the option to search the wide web. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But then an an advantage of having the in-person library, I guess, is also, like, what if you had a really intense, strict parents and not a lot of access to the internet or whatever Mm -hmm. whatever whatever any circumstance just having that option to be in a safe place and not not having a fear that you're being like looked at by the outside world in the wrong kind of way i guess physically safe yeah in the space and um and also yeah just like communicating with people in person talking about books talking about periodicals like having these discussions is is more intentional too than just like I'm on the internet and I'm queer. Like, yeah, it's, um, <laughs> you know, it's like really interacting in a way that's um, per, like make growing you yeah. as a person and and figuring out more about yourself and yeah. I'm realizing I didn't give you a full answer earlier about events. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Please continue. <laughs> I think one of the things that we're doing a really good job of is having more and more events. You know, we mentioned the honorariums. So that's a huge thing. That as we have more budget, we can pay authors, writers, poets to come in. Um, but we're also exploring new types of events. So mm-hmm. we now have a regular event called Queer Threads, where people come in and just craft, crochet, oh, needlework. I don't yeah. even know all the right words, but yes, I, I'm part of Queer Threads. <laughs> <laughs> they're they're meeting on Wednesday evenings at uh, seven o'clock, and it's a time where people can bring whatever projects they're working on. You know, mm-hmm. knitting, crochet, sewing, needlepoint. Had somebody doing drop spindle yarn making and my wife brought her head of loom and mm-hmm. um, and then there's usually a skill set skill share component where somebody will do a demonstration on here's how you mend stretchy fabric mm-hmm. uh, here's how you know to make lace doily here's how to you know so it's a chance for somebody else to show off their their skills and it's you know what's so queer about this well we're all some kind of queer at <laughs> yeah. queer threads so yeah. <laughs> But I also think the word intersectionality, yeah. right, that it's queer people who are into this hobby. You know, we yeah. used to have a D&D group. We often do board game nights. Um, mm-hmm. But, like, it's also been cool to see, you know, other other aspects. So we did a series on trans health and well-being. Mm-hmm. And we're a library. We're not really a health organization. Yeah. But we are also a community center. Mm-hmm. And I think that's come up in this conversation earlier that, you know, it's a place people can meet. It's a place people can just be. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's really cool because we have partnerships throughout the Twin Cities and beyond. And so we have a community space. We have a community room that people can use. Yeah. 
And is that just like able to rent by contacting you guys kind of thing? Or it's is it more better selective? than that? <laughs> it's not rented. It's free. Oh, really? <laughs> but yes, you would reach oh, out to reserves. us. And we do vet you because if you're not, you know, LGBTQ in some way, and of course if it's being used, uh, we do share yeah, it with we the share building. It. Um, which there's a cool story there. The building was built um, Spirit on Lake. It was originally designed to be affordable housing for LGBTQ plus seniors. And the community is not just LGBTQ, so it's kind of a cool like mixed community in that Mm -hmm. way. But the space that we're in right now was designed with the library in mind. So it's very cool to kind of be, you know, deeply rooted in that place mm-hmm. on Lake Street. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's and it's like, the first place where we're on ground level. It's the first place we had windows. It's the first place we had signage. Out and proud. <laughs> yeah, out and proud. Just like it's the first be. place that's accessible. Because mm-hmm. yeah, wow. we were in the basement before. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And nope, our landlord didn't allow signage on the building, so you really had to know we were down in the basement of this old school building. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And on Broadway, uh, we, you had to ring a buzzer and go upstairs, and not many, you know, people wanted to do that. So sure. this is, you know, the first time that we're, and we're on the bus line. We're by the Midtown Greenway. I mean, yeah. it's kind of easy for us to get, for yeah. people to get to us. And we've got a sign on the Greenway too. And we have a sign on the doorway, and a big light up sign. That was a grant from. I don't remember, but somebody gifted us the big light up sign out front. Yeah. That's wonderful. It's amazing. Yeah. But I see, it's like, okay, we've been here 10 years. We're, we're starting to outgrow this space. I'm already oh, thinking. I'm already yeah. thinking. Uh-huh. I mean, I don't know that there's any... I'm, I'm just saying. I'm yeah. thinking of improvements. Yeah. <laughs> That's where learning history has been important. Mm-hmm. Because one of the exciting things... I mean, I love libraries that aren't just LGBTQ. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And so, you know, you've probably learned about Carnegie libraries. Mm-hmm. You know, Andrew Carnegie, one of the at least historically richest people in the United States and mm-hmm. gave all this money to start libraries. Who's the next Andrew Carnegie? You know, is there somebody in the Twin Cities mm-hmm. who would mm-hmm. give us a bunch of money to build a new library? Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, I'm really encouraged. There's uh, a couple spaces, uh, Queer Immunity is one, and then there's another one starting in St. Cloud. So there's a couple organizations that are kind of building up mm-hmm. new community centers. And so, you know, yeah. we'll see where we factor in with that. Maybe mm-hmm. we'll have a Another branch of Quatrefoil. Yeah. yeah. I've always Ooh. wanted a bookmobile. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. That would be so cool. You My know, wouldn't it be so easy to drive around to all these little regional pride, yes. you know, celebrations yes. if we had a bookmobile? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. My, my hometown kind of had something along the lines of that. They would have a, a little bookmobile come out, and then they would have these family nights where they host music events in the park. and. Yeah. So much fun. I mm-hmm. went to those a lot when I was a kid. Yeah, They're Rochester really Public Library has a bike, book bike. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Is there like a little, I wonder, how, how do they maneuver that? It's like a cargo bike. Oh, okay. And they have this big trailer on the back. And it's, it's, yeah, it's really yeah. cool. So I, I'm the type that goes to visit libraries on vacation. You know, I'm in a little small <laughs> town or a big city. It's like, yeah. gotta go to the public library. Oh, so, so I'm always, you know, jotting down ideas of, oh, we should do that. We mm. should do this. We should do that. So. Yeah. Always thinking. Yeah, always getting inspired mm-hmm. by other libraries. We should get like an old ice cream truck, and then we can play like gay anthems. Oh, <laughs> I am one. <laughs> I don't think we've mentioned yet. We are all volunteer. We don't have any paid staff. 
working on it. <laughs> Karen touched on this earlier because you know she mentioned if you know social media, if you know cataloging or want to learn it, and that's been a really cool thing with Quatrefoil that all the people that I've seen be involved, it's like, yeah, if you're excited about a specific purpose, do that. Mm -hmm. We had another uh, board member from Cargill who was able to get a pretty hefty donation from Cargill for technology. Mm. And that's another cool place. Like, since we don't have any paid IT staff, if you want to learn about how to manage IT, mm-hmm. it's a great organization. And yeah. all kinds of stuff that I wouldn't have thought of. We now have um, a letterboxed account. And we have somebody who, I think, tracked. Aiden hired. Aiden. Yeah. Yeah. My roommate, Aiden, would be perfect for that <laughs> job. <laughs> so perfect. So true. Yeah, I had never heard of Letterboxd before, but somebody came up with this idea, and it's like, okay, go ahead, do it. <laughs> That's the thing. It's like, you have an idea. Okay, you're you're in charge. You do it. Mm-hmm. Um, That's awesome. So, yeah, they input our whole 3,000 DVD collection <laughs> to Letterboxd. Wow. Now we're just, uh, That's a big task. Now just waiting for people to write reviews, and, uh-huh. yeah. which is, you know, because only librarians look at our catalog. <laughs> Yeah. You know, it's mainly for us, but other people might look somewhere else for their information, so. Something that still baffles me, and you might have to correct me on the details, but my understanding is that we used to have a threshold as long as, like, 10%. So oh, if there was, yes. like, a minor character was gay, we would take it. Mm-hmm. But now, because there's so much content, I believe it's, like, 50%. Mm-hmm. You have to have, like, a major character. Yeah. yeah. And so, like, you ha- I have picked up things before that's, like, okay, this, you know, maybe the author's gay. That's obviously important. But occasionally it's, like, okay, here's a novel where there's a side character or a movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is it, like, this from the 70s? Right. Because mm-hmm. um, yeah. in the early days, too, we took a lot that was coded. You know, I call it coded yeah. content. Yeah, for sure. Where you yeah. couldn't come right out and say. Mm-hmm. So no but matter. The people who knew knew. Yeah, even with our name Quatrefoil. Mm-hmm. I mean, the name Quatrefoil comes from a book that was written in 1950 by James Barr. Um, Which is his um, pseudonym. Not pseudonym. His real name. <laughs> you know, but it was a, the first early major published book with a gay character in it. Mm-hmm. Um, so the name Quatrefoil kind of was like, we couldn't say gay and lesbian out loud. Mm-hmm. But if you knew Quatrefoil, you knew what the subject of this library must be. And of course it works out well because we often go by Q Library. That's our website. And so then there's the Q from Queer. Sure, yeah. yeah. Yep. But yeah, we have a ton of um, gay and lesbian pulp novels, which are super cool because these are the kind of novels that be like super cheap. You'd get at a drugstore. And I remember there was a presentation from mm-hmm. the former curator Lisa. of the Treader. Lisa Bacoli. Right, and there's some really cool like, oh, the word Twilight. That was, was like a lesbian code word. Right. Twilight letters. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. yeah. Me so, too. <laughs> so just like every library has to update their collection development policy, I mean, that's mm-hmm. kind of like the core, you know, this is what we collect, this is why we collect it, this is why we, it's, you know, the major document of any library, and we're in the midst of updating it, and yes, we're in the early days, we took whatever coded content, marginal content, it has a gay character, yay, and now it's like, <laughs> no, that's not good enough, that's it's not good too enough. much. Yeah, it needs, I mean, I can't keep up. I mean, yes, we yeah. have we have money to buy books now, and it's great. I sp- spend a lot of money on books every month. <laughs> and now I'm even starting to think, okay, 50%, you know, is this enough? <laughs> <laughs> but then it's like, okay, well, if it's a movie, not every character in the movie is going to be gay. So I guess we have to leave it at 50%. Sure, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. but, well, something that I think should get out there more is how easy it is 
if you suggest something at Quatrefoil to get it purchased. <laughs> um, you know, That's obviously awesome. at some point you're going to be looking, and so if there's obviously no LGBTQ connection, but I feel like everything I've suggested has been acquired. <laughs> And I'm somebody who does use my public libraries frequently. Yeah. I've only got like a 50% success rate with Hennepin County Library. So. They're really good. They're really good. <laughs> they are good, but still they don't get everything. But the comparison, yeah. Right. It says a lot. Yeah. Not as good yeah. as you. Yeah. <laughs> shout, out, shout out to Hennepin County because they've started donating some of their withdrawn second copies of books. Nice. You know, so it might be a fiction book that's like two or three years old and they don't need... 20 copies of this anymore, so they've started donating some of their used copies to us, which is good because I wouldn't have, you know, it's a lot of genres that I wouldn't have bought, like mystery and romance, and so. I forgot to make a plug too for This Queer Book Change. Oh my gosh. Ah! Feel free to. This Queer Book Saved My Life is a fabulous podcast and they started locally. Okay. So their um, founder, MC, yeah, JP. Um, yeah, JP is fabulous. He also started the Queer Armenian Library, um, and they're an online archive or library. And they have a really cool model where they invite somebody on, and usually there's some community affiliation, so I did get to join it. And then you talk about a book that saved your life or changed your life in some way. I made a good choice, <laughs> but in retrospect, I would pick an author who I could then meet. So I talked about the novel Quatrefoil because, you know, it fit into this story where I started volunteering with Quatrefoil. But if the author's alive, they'll invite the author to join the podcast. Oh, and so it's true. really neat to listen to the other episodes because you actually have a little conversation with the author, and, you know, if they're local, you can actually meet them. Um, so they're really That's cool, and cool. Yeah. Karen's done a great job of on the the Q Digital mm -hmm. having a playlist. Here's books that have been featured on that podcast. And now we have oh. dedicated book display. That's so cool. Because not everything is digital yet, but yeah. <laughs> at least we can try and and it's cool because it's not just, you know, it's like, yeah, we love new books. We love but these are, you know, kind of forgotten gems that go back, mm -hmm. you know, a decade or so. Oh yeah, yeah I forgot about that book. That's yeah, awesome. I forgot about that book. So it's kind of a different model than most book review you know, podcasts or blogs are. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. That's that's very cool. Did you want to ask about movies at all? Oh, <laughs> yeah. Know? Did you guys have any, like, queer culture? Not exactly, like, specifically queer, but just, like, it feels very queer to... Yeah, it can be this, either overtly like, queer or, like, queer-coded, as we're talking about. Yes, like, yeah, films. Well, here's one that I made our 23-year-old sit down and watch. Okay. Incredibly True Adventures of Two Girls in Love. It came out in the mid-90s, and I hadn't seen it since it came out. And uh, so I wondered, you know, how well it would hold up. Because mm -hmm. I just remember loving it, and I loved seeing the kind of the side character of the, the main character's aunt, who was a butch lesbian that was taking care of her, and I'm like, there's my Butch Baba role model. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's like, because I'd never really seen, you know, a Butch lesbian on TV before. I mean, this was before, you know, Helen's not Butch, but this character was. So that's why I love the movie. And the main character's so cute, and it was a multiracial <laughs> cast, so that was unusual for the time. And yeah. Yep, so we sat down and watched it with us, and she loved it. A few plot mm -hmm. devices 
wouldn't hold up now. Gotcha. That's, yeah, that'll happen. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it's like, happen. yes, we didn't have caller ID, so a major plot thing was you didn't know who was calling when right, you right, picked right. up the phone <laughs> mm -hmm. and trying to find a pay phone. So, mm -hmm. so that, yeah. that's a good slice of 90s lesbiana and also Go Fish. Go Fish? Yeah. Yeah, Go Fish is very 90s too because it was kind of that cusp of you know what was controversial what was mm -hmm. you know kind of a, it's hard to describe a kind of a slice of life you know the girl is out there but also their friends you know just a slice of life in brooklyn in the 90s and yeah you also definitely have some cult films and so one i think of is but i'm a cheerleader yeah <laughs> and then the other one which i haven't seen yet but i have kind of eventual plans with friends is The Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. Oh, yeah, I haven't seen that in forever. I've just heard that yeah. it's you know, interesting and drag in, I believe, the Outback. I do love movies, and this is making me realize that when I talk about my quadrifoil story, I probably should talk about movies, mm -hmm. because when I came out in college, movies from my public library were like the way I got to see other stories. Mm -hmm. um, so not necessarily my answer right now, but one I watched was Latter Days, which is a really sweet one about um, a Mormon boy who's gay and the, the neighbor that he meets, um, and I won't spoil it too much. Mm -hmm. um, one of my favorites is definitely Sappy. It's called Make the Yuletide Gay, <laughs> and it's a Christmas movie. It's very cute. Quatrefoil has it, and it's there's a book as well. Um, but Quatrefoil's been really cool because one of our other longtime volunteers, um, who's a good friend, his name is Larry Watson. He's now, I think, 86. 86. And he's watched, seriously, like almost every movie in the collection. Mm -hmm. And so wow. every time that I volunteered with him, Either somebody would bring back a movie and yeah. he would like just pass it to yeah. me to watch, or I would like pick something off a shelf and he'd be like, oh, no, 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 don't watch that. Or he'd be like, oh, yes. Yeah. And so one of the ones that he told me about was, it's called Morris. It's spelled like Maurice. Yes. Ian and it's Foster. based on a novel. And it's just, it was a really great story to watch. And I, at some point I will read it to see what it was like. Um, I don't know if I could tell you off the top of my head what years that was. 30s, maybe? That makes sense, yeah. E.M. Foster. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for sharing those, yeah. What has been, if you already answered this, I'm sorry, but <laughs> it, what has been the most significant takeaway from your time uh, volunteering at the Quadrifoil for each of you? <laughs> That's hard to answer. Yeah, it's, hard to it's, answer. it's been a lot. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you can tell already we can go on and on about the library. Um, and I mean, I can go on and on about my, you know, hard to believe it's only been seven years. I think I started in January, so I think it has been seven years now. You know, one thing I think I didn't realize, I mean, I got recruited for the board fairly quickly after becoming a volunteer. And I didn't realize that you could join a board without having much experience. And I think that's been a really cool thing for me personally and professionally. I put Quattrofoil on my resume, mm -hmm. which is definitely, you know, there's something because now if I send it out, I'm sort of coming out to whoever I'm sending it to, mm -hmm. at least if they choose to look into it more. Right. But, you know, there's a lot of benefits you can have from volunteering to your own career in that way. Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, I mentioned 
moving to the Twin Cities following my partner, neither of us went to college here, neither of us grew up here. So we don't have that same network as people who right. did live here their whole lives. Yeah. So Quattrofoil for me has also been a way to find that community and help build it. And that's really cool. You know, one of the things that I've, you know, we talked about learning from our elders, like Karen said, people had to go out and had to build community. Mm-hmm. I also grew up with the internet and being able to find people that way. But not, you know, not having that same network here, it's been really cool to be part of this organization and work at building more community in the Twin Cities. Yeah. I know I just think about all the people that I've met and volunteered with and I mean it's just such a part of my professional work and my you know personal life and and I have to talk about David. Mm -hmm. Um, David Norris was a librarian and I knew him from work with St. Catherine. We went to library school together and he was really instrumental in the larger library world with uh, uh, changing cataloging and access and you know changing outdated language in the catalog and making things more accessible and more findable um, and when he came to our library I mean we've been amateurs for all these years we, we don't quite know what we're doing it's like when we cataloged it was a, a book it was title and author you know so it was basically just an inventory but David came he was a professional cataloger and a, a record before David was like this big, a record after David was like this big. <laughs> and the benefit of that is if you wanted to find books written in the 70s by black authors with you know, this character, it would be there, bing, and it would come up. So it wasn't just indexed, it was just the way he indexed it and described things so that you could pull all these gems out of the catalog. And he was unexpectedly killed in a hit-and-run accident about a year ago today. They, they still haven't found the person that hit him and left him to die in a snowbank. But he left a giant hole in our organization But at the same time, so many people stepped up, Mm -hmm. you know, just to carry on David's legacy. I mean, people from all over the country. I went to his memorial service at St. Kate's, and I mean, we got people contacting us and volunteering and sending us money and more people saying, how can I help? So, and then I think about all the other you know, after David, I mean, we could have a whole memorial wall of, you know, all the people that have gone before us that left their mark yeah. on the queue. So I think me being there almost 30 years later, I'm trying to carry on the work that, that they started. And I sometimes look at them like, oh, Dale, if you could see us now. Mm-hmm. Dan, if you could mm-hmm. see us now. David, if you could see us now. <laughs> we have honored David by naming our scholarship for him which was fitting because he helped start it and he helped with um, with communicating about the scholarship to groups throughout Minnesota. He put together a huge list of colleges, universities, and I think even high schools that you know we might reach out to. And this is a great way to tribute him because somebody could apply for our scholarship and go to library school yeah. or go to be a writer, go to be mm-hmm. a poet, go to be an artist, a movie maker, whatever. Yeah. Make yeah. podcasts. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's a beautiful way to honor somebody. Thank you for sharing that with us. And because of that, you know, I got a 
I knew nothing, not nothing, but I didn't know a lot about cataloging, but he left this giant backlog, and after he died, it's like, fuck, we got 400 books to catalog <laughs> now, so, you know, I taught myself how to do a lot and recruited other people, and one of our board members nominate, nominated me for the Minnesota Library Association Above and Beyond Award, so I got a statewide award and got to... Talk about Q in front of all of my professional colleagues. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's wonderful. Yeah. yeah. I just w I want to leave it to the two of you, open it up to you to say anything that we've missed or anything you would like to share about the Q that um, that you'd want people to know, local like community members or anyone that might listen. Come visit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I'm happy to, you know, somebody walks in for the first time, oh, have you been here before? No, great. I can let them wander around and explore to their heart's content, or I could totally nerd out for three hours about, you know, cataloging and collection development and everything else about the library. So just let me know what you want. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Thank you both so much for joining us today. It's been so lovely to talk to you about the Quadrifoil. We're very excited to visit. Very, very excited. Yeah, thanks so much for having us. Thank you. It's always Thank you. an honor. For more information about the Quatrefoil, visit qlibrary.org or click on the link in the description for this episode. Thanks again for listening to The Gay Agenda. This podcast is created by me, Sabine Benda, with music and audio production by Ben Rosenberg, and support from my co-hosts, Alex Bailey, Aiden Lewald, and Cedra Nike. The Gay Agenda is produced by The Oracle, student-run independent news media at Hamlin University in St. Paul since 1888.